You're listening to a Southern Star Media Production. Hello and welcome to the Southern Star's Coronavirus Podcast. I'm the news editor, Siobhan Cronin. And I'm Southern Star Creative Manager, Niall O'Driscoll. And each week on our podcast, we talk to people working through the pandemic in West Cork and beyond. We also take a look at that week's Southern Star and how our journalists throughout West Cork are covering the crisis and some other news too. Later in this week's podcast, I will be talking to actress and author Carol Drinkwater, most recognisable as Helen Herriot in that iconic TV series, All Creatures Great and Small. These days, Carol is a best-selling author and lives in the south of France. She'd normally be a regular visitor to Bantry this time of year for the West Cork Literary Festival. So we will have a chat with her about her fantastic career and her life in France after lockdown in a little while. But first, now I'll take a look at this week's um, newspaper. We're going to have a look at page one. And we have two COVID-related stories back on the front page again this week. Starting yeah, or, off with a warning or, from the Gardaí. Yeah, the lead, the lead story this week, Siobhan, is, as, as you say, it's, it's a warning from um, Chief Super, uh, Superintendent Con Cadigan about, uh, well, people, but young people particularly, putting out uh, messages about events that they're having or whatever on social media because there was a case in Bandon recently where uh, a young girl put out a message about a birthday party and there was young people from all over the county that she didn't even know converged on Bandon to try and attend the party. They hired buses, uh, they made their way there, they congregated, I think there was about 80 in total. Uh, they managed to hire buses. Um, they came from as far afield as Middleton and Ballancolic. And, I mean, ultimately the guards were called to disperse them. And it just got out of hand, really, you know. Yeah, I think there was a similar one in Dublin that really hit the headlines last week or the week before in, in Lucan. And uh, so this actually happened, something very, very similar happened in West Cork. So I think he's just saying, don't put your party invites on social media. It's the takeaway from that. Sure, and it, um, it, 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 it kind of ties in slightly with another story in the front cover then, which is, um, well, as we've probably all heard about the GA clubs that had to close in West Cork recently, and uh, a warning from uh, the Carby chairman, Tommy Lyons. And his message was, yes, that, that players would have to be careful in terms of playing matches and on the field, but he also made the point that uh, it's not even so much on the on on the pitch, but in their socialising, they need to be careful because if they are going out socialising and then they're coming back playing games and congregating and uh, playing matches and stuff, that's where the the, the possibility of spreading the bug is. So that's 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 a that's a very important note from from both uh, the chief super Con Cadigan and Tommy Lyons with the Carby GA in terms of just just having a bit of cop on a bit of bit of bit of um, bit of sense when it comes to the whole thing. Yeah. Absolutely. And we um, we also cover um, inside, I think there was talk of, of other house parties in Barra and outside Bantry and that, where there are fears now that there may have been some, some cases brought into the area. And of course, we have been pretty good up to a point um, in West Cork. So, you know, we don't want to see those figures rising now if we can I, at all. I think the, but, word, the, the word today, like from the government, is that like uh, house parties can't well, they, they were never supposed to happen anyway, but I, they're, they're limiting them strictly to 10 people and from not more than four other households, I think. Is, is right, yeah. So, yeah. so there, there's obviously a situation countrywide with regard to house parties, probably with pubs closed and things, which just yeah, needs absolutely. to be addressed. Yeah. yeah. But there was a lovely, um, I suppose, a divergence from all the COVID um, negativity and, and bad news this week when there was a story of a 
mystery buyer buying an island off West Cork, but there was there was even yet in that there was a COVID link in that he or she never got to see the property whatsoever because they uh, saw it on WhatsApp. So it's lovely to think that you can have 5.5 million to spend on something that you've never even seen. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was I was looking at it, and to be honest, it's 5.5 million seems like a lot of money, but it's 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 not a bad bargain when you look at it. It's it's an island, but it's got a main house and I think six um, ancillary cottages, uh, and obviously it's on a lot of land. You know, um, stunning West Cork views in the middle of Roaring Water Bay. You know, I mean, it's 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 probably money well spent if you have it, isn't it? Well, it's interesting because. Um... I think you, you were saying that even CNN are covering this now and right. a lot of people do want to get away from, you know, uh, big areas of population. There's been a bit of a lifestyle change by a lot of people. And I suppose if you're in that category of person that does have that kind of money to spend, why not buy an island in the west of Ireland and uh, know that you're going to be, once you get on that island, you're going to be safe for sure. It's, I don't think there are any cases of COVID known on our side. It's, 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 it's remote working in every sense of the word, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So it's, it is a stunning property. Like you say, the, the main house is absolutely gorgeous. It's been modernised. It's got all sorts of um, bells and whistles, you'd say, and beautiful little uh, ancillary properties around the place. A gorgeous decking, there's tennis courts, there's a gym. There's a little um, boat that's called a, a play boat on one of the shores of one of the beaches, beautiful sandy beaches, a helipad. You know, what more could you want? But if you want to see the pictures, we have a, a spread inside and property um, of some of the pictures of, of the house. And also there's a lovely house for sale at a slightly more reasonable, over 400,000 in Inchidani, um, if that's more in your price bracket in our property section this week. So um, as well as that, uh, we also are covering, of course, the breaking news this week that the uh, phase four has been pushed out another few weeks and the publicans are quite annoyed about that. So we have a story from Kieran O'Mahony on page three about the publicans reacting and also a story from Clannacilty Hospital. Now, there was a report in one of the national papers last week that some covid patients had been accommodated with some non-COVID patients in Clannacilty Hospital, but the HSE has denied that this week now and said that they had instigated what they called cohorting at the hospital, which means they do segregate patients who have COVID. So we're covering that story as well. And also um, we got Emma Connolly and Kieran O'Mahony went out and about this week because it's a week since the original um pubs were allowed open as in the pub serving food and the hairdressers are back in action so a week on the two of them went out kieran did a uh, volunteer to do a trip of the pubs <laughs> and emma volunteered to get her hair done so they're just reporting back on what they found as regards ppe and kieran had a great chat with the customers about getting out of lockdown and into the pubs and uh, having a meal and that's reported in a nice page feature inside as well. I think the, the big the big takeout from that really is 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 at least what the what the the publicans and the hairdressers and things are, are reporting is just the sheer joy of their customers at being able to get out and do these what what would ordinarily be, be everyday things 
it's just that sheer joy of being able to go and get your hair cut or get your hair done or have a point or whatever in relatively normal conditions. And see other human beings exactly, yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Um, we also inside have some other features this week. We have a lovely feature on Dr. Dorothy Stopford. She was called Court's Rebel Doctor. She helped some of the uh, flying columns during the um, Civil War and the War of Independence in the West Cork area. And she was also involved in bringing in some vaccines for children and had even done autopsies on Spanish flu victims to learn more about vaccines. So it's just a very timely piece this this week. Um, so a nice story on her. And also, would you believe it's 35 years since the statue moved in Banspittal. Wow. So we've gone back to Banspittal this week to talk to some of the people there about their memories of that. I couldn't believe that 20,000 people were in Banspittal one night in August 35 years ago. Can you imagine 20,000 people? I, 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 could, in... I, could, I could well have been one of them, I think. I remember oh. being, being taken down there with, with my, my parents and my brother and my grandmother in particular who wanted to go down there and see it. And did and, you um, get a pizza burger? I have no recollection of getting a burger, no. Although I believe there's a, quite a brisk trade in burgers being done there, all right? But it, Absolutely, it, yes. The famous yeah, Grotto Burger, I think, first began in Banspittal. That's right. That's right. It's, it was it was quite a phenomenon. That I mean, just I, I was only talking to somebody the other day about it. The feeling in the air down there. I mean, whether you, whether you believe whatever happened that it moved or didn't or otherwise, even as a young kid, there was this palpable sense of something happening or this. I, as I say, it was in the air down there. It was it was quite remarkable. And to this day, I remember the, the, the this yeah this this feeling. It was it was it was amazing. You know, and. To, yeah, we have lovely stories. There were uh, one of the families, um, when our photographer visited last week, he met a family down there who had been, the mum and dad had been there 35 years ago. And they were explaining how they had brought their cousin at the time, who was an officer in the NYPD. Right. And he was sure that it moved and he wanted to get up and investigate. Was there any way any could be manipulating it from behind? But of course, with the crowds, it's impossible to, to get there with battling your way through 20,000 people who probably wouldn't want you to show that it was being moved exactly. by strings. They, would, they just wouldn't want you interfering with, with, it, with it one way or the other, I suppose. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And also, um, of course, it was attacked by a Christian faith group, I think, um, and right. there was a court case. So mm -hmm. that's all covered in it. So it's, it's just worth remembering. And we also have a nice feature in the community section this week. Um, Rachel McCarthy from Ballinadee has set up a page called The Humans of West Cork. Now, a lot of people will be familiar with The Humans of New York, I think was the original mm -hmm. page. I think there's also a Humans of Dublin page now. And it's just basically lovely photographic portraits of people going about their day's work or their regular walks or whatever. And she's got some nice pictures there, which we're reprinting this week. I think the, the, gist, the gist is the extraordinary, ordinary people, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. And um, there's some lovely portraits there. That's the front of the community section. And Emma Conley is continuing her Demented Homeworkers column this week. And I think she's switched her attentions from Tony Holohan to uh, Professor Luke O'Neill is now the object <laughs> of her affection. And uh, she's also talking about really craving for the bright lights of a, a city, any city mm. at this stage, and someone stealing her spot on the beach as well, right. which, of course, yeah, is, a high, she, 
is a hanging offence in West Cork. To yeah, yeah. She says having a, having a little go at the kind of what she's describing as the overuse of the term staycation at this stage as well, because she said, in one sense, if you are actually trying to rent a property or go somewhere to stay at home, that it's not it's almost not possible to do it. I mean, staycation is almost actually staying at home and probably travelling out from there. That you really, even if you wanted to go somewhere in Kerry or wherever, you can't get a place to rent. So she's no, just a bit. But I mean, she's, she 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 can be miffed all she likes, but I'm sure there's probably people listening to this podcast in the likes of Longford and Offaly who would be just <laughs> loving to be within three Fair or enough. four miles of White Sandy Beach. Fair so <laughs> I think Emma needs to remember she doesn't have it too bad after all. Yeah, get 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 some perspective, Emma. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Niall, um, you also want to talk to us about a great free magazine that is available in the paper this week. Yeah, um, it's it's. I have a copy of it here. I'm just gonna. It's it's our support West Cork shop local uh, magazine. It's part of a, a month, a month long, a three month long campaign that we're running to do exactly that to support West Cork, encourage people to shop local, and uh, it's a seventy two page magazine, Siobhan, which is the biggest we've ever produced in terms of an in paper magazine. So it's 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 a first for ourselves, and it covers. I mean, it goes right through from. Uh, retail, tourism, leisure, food, hotels, even things like financial and legal services in West Cork. And it also includes over 30 pages of things to see and do in the area for people who are, as we said, on a staycation in the area. They've come from somewhere else and they want to see what can they do, what's what's available under, under the present conditions. But it's also a nice uh, uh, reminder to people in the locality themselves that we have this amazing resource just here. I mean, you literally only have to go 10 miles this way or 20 miles that way within West Cork uh, to go and see and do some of these amazing things. So we're very proud of it. It's, it's, it's out today and um, it's, in, it's in the papers. Uh, again, just with that idea of supporting West Cork, keeping it local, uh, you know, this, the, the multiplier, multiplier effect is they say you spend one euro in an area and what it does in terms of coming back to suppliers, wages that money getting, you know, local families and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, and I think there's maps in it as well, um, Niall. It's good. There's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a map of the, the greater West Cork area and uh, there's the results of our poll about uh, West Cork's favourite beaches and all of those beaches are indicated on the map and things as well. Um, so Can it's, you it's, give it's a, us a bit of a, a preview of what may have topped the poll? Um, you have I, buy it and find out. You have to buy it and find out, I think, yeah. I mean, there was a couple of surprises there, actually, to be honest about it. Um, okay. But uh, I think let people, buy, let people buy the paper, have a look, find out themselves, and they can, they can get back to us if they don't like the results. But it was, <laughs> it was, it was a public poll, so... <laughs> um, democracy but, uh, rules. Democracy rules, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Well, thanks, Niall. And don't forget, if you can't get to the shops, you can subscribe online by going to southernstar.ie and clicking on the e-paper tab. Or call the office on 028-21200 for a postal copy to be sent out to you. Carl Drinkwater is an instantly recognisable face to any fans of TV in the 70s, 80s and even 90s. And she was the wonderfully fun but strong-willed vet's wife, Helen Harriet, in the iconic TV series All Creatures Great and Small. These days, Carl is better known as a best-selling author of novels and memoirs, and she lives in the south of France, but has been a big fan of the West Cork Literary Festival, which she tells us she is missing this year. So welcome, Carol, and it's lovely to talk to you this afternoon. 
So can you tell me how is the south of France today? It's very hot. It's about 28 degrees. So what is that? About 90 something? Oh, we work in degrees here. We're, we're with we you guys. Under, yeah, okay. So 28 <laughs> degrees. So it's, it's not as hot as it does get sometimes this time of year, but it's pretty hot. Um, I'm in my, my library and I've got no air conditioning in here. So um, it's quite stuffy, but that's, you know, that's okay. I'm hidden away from the sun at least. It's very sunny. Okay, so it's a little restaurant. I love Skibbereen. How, how is it there? It's a lovely sunny day in Skibbereen, but it's only about maybe 17 degrees, but that's plenty for me, yeah. so I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me now about the early days of the lockdown. You live in France, and I think France was actually quite strict in the early days, if I remember rightly, when all this hit us around March, April. You're, you're, you're breaking up. Oh, sorry. Okay. Can you hear me you're now? Breaking. I can hear you, but the, you're going, yes, you, you've been breaking up. Yeah. Okay. Well, once can the you... audio is okay, I'd say that's the main thing. Um, okay. Don't worry about the screen so much once you can hear me, because the majority of our, our listeners will probably hear this on audio anyway. So. Okay, fine. Okay, so fine. I'll start with that question again. So. So, Carol, tell me about the early days of the lockdown in France. I think France was actually one of the quite strict countries as regards locking down everybody in March or April. Is that right? We locked down. We were actually up north, just outside. We have a place outside Paris. And um, March the 15th, we were going to come down about five days later. And Michelle came and said to me, get ready, we're leaving in an hour. And we drove until about two in the morning to get here for March the 15th. And at midday, we were locked in. We were locked down. And that was our confinement, we call it, right through until um, mid-May. Um, I've only now been out maybe four times since February. Uh, other than the journey down and that we went back up again to see everything was okay after we, everything opened up. But... Um, I've, I've barely been off the property and we wear masks all the time, obviously not at home, but um, masks are obligatory here. Um, they're going to be an obligatory indoors, except in private houses. August. If we went out, we had to carry um, a document with us to say where we were going. We couldn't be out for more than an hour. Couldn't be in anybody's company, not even someone that we were living with. It was, it was um, a one solitary outing with a, with a document to say that we, we had a reason to go out, like to the pharmacy or to get food, and they were the only reasons. So they've been very strict. I looked this morning on the WHO um, site, which I've been following every day, and um, we have no new cases and uh, no new deaths yesterday. I mean, Ireland is doing pretty amazingly. I know, because well, I follow the news every day in Ireland, and I think you beat yourselves up a little bit, because I actually think you're doing amazingly over there. I mean, better than you seem to think you are. Well, I think we're doing okay, but there is a bit of a kickback now because we were to move to the next phase this week and um, we're not allowed to move to our next phase now because our cases are slightly increasing again. Higher than I saw that they're not going to open up the pubs. You're not opening up the pubs as was expected, yeah? So that's, <laughs> that must be a blow. <laughs> I can see that that would be a blow. Um, but listen, you know, 
I think we've got to do it and that's it. And we've just got to face that this year is about getting through this and finding until we have a vaccine, we've all just got to be, you know, sensible and think of everybody, not just ourselves. Absolutely. So take me back in time now to the 70s when you got the, the role of um, Helen Harriet in All Creatures Great and Small. And yeah. um, Helen came across as a witty, warm, but very strong-willed Beth's wife. And I think a lot of people would wonder how much of Carol was in Helen. Very little of Carol is in Helen. Um, I, I would have had Helen be stronger, more independent, uh, to fit in with my own uh, my own way of seeing the world. Um, the real Helen, the, the Joan White, Alf White's uh, wife, that the role was sort of based on, um, she was stronger than the character in the books. The character in the books is a little bit... I always used to say rehearsing, well, I'll just reheat that tea bag, James. Because <laughs> you know, it was constantly, oh, would you like a cup of tea, dear? And I, I, I felt that they could have done more with the role. And that's finally why I, I, I left it. Because I said, if you don't give me a bicycle and get me in with a Red Cross or out there or looking after women who are on the streets or single mothers or give us something to do that actually is socially, um, you know, uh, contributive. But they didn't want to do that. They said it's not in the book. So in the end, I said, okay, well, I think I've given it all I can. It's a, it's been a great role, but you know, there wasn't a great deal more I could give it after that. You know, right? I was sad to leave it. Well, I think it's, you'll always be Helen Harriet in, in many people's eyes, just from a, a generational point of view. In my mind, that's how I always remember you. I suppose I just grew up with that series and I loved it so much but you were also in A Clockwork Work Orange which I think a lot of people don't realise. Um, My Chalky. first job at the drama school. Yes. Chalky, yes. Chalky. Um, Casualty, Peak Practice and The Sweeney. So you, you had a very colourful, very varied career of very different characters there and at what stage in your career did you decide to make the shift to writing then? Was it because of some of the, the the script writers you'd encountered? Maybe no, 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 not, not at all. I've been writing since I was about eight. Um, I've always, I, I knew I'd be an actress and I dreamed of being a writer. And um, I, once I met Michelle, my husband, the man who's now my husband, I was filming in Australia and he was the executive producer on a children's miniseries I was making called Golden Pennies. Um, and he asked me to marry him on our first date out. We had a drink at the hotel and then the next evening we went out for dinner. And he asked me to marry him before even the first course had been served. So <laughs> it was all a kind of mad, crazy A man who knows his own mind. Who knows his own mind, still does. <laughs> um, uh, and he said, you know, because he said, is there something you haven't done? And I said, well, I'd like to get published. You know, I've, I've been published in magazines, but I mean, writing books. So he said, look, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll really fight behind you and, and get you doing it. So uh, the next role I was doing as an actress, I spent all my spare time on location writing. And that became my first book called The Haunted School, which was a children's book. And we made it into a television series in Australia. And I played the main role. Michelle produced it. And um, Disney picked it up in the States and it won the Chicago Film Festival Gold Award for children's films. And so that got me sort of launched. It sold about, 
In England, it sold about 168,000 copies, which compared to Harry Potter sounds like nothing now. But this is we're talking pre-Harry Potter when children's children's literature and children's television was not considered anything. It was kind of second-rate stuff. You know, if you were in the children's department, you hadn't made it to the adult sort of mentality, which I always disagreed with. And um, I was very pleased when the book did so well, and it certainly got me launched, and I got a contract with Penguin after that. So. Here I am still with Penguin, back with Penguin, in fact. That kicked you off then. Um, and just going back to your time as an actress, I, I read a piece you wrote for the Daily Mail a few years ago where you talked about a very devastating time in your life where you were sexually assaulted by a film director. And I think you felt that the Me Too movement allowed you that space to come out and talk about it again. And even in the last two years, quite a lot has happened. We've seen the jailing of, of um, Harvey Weinstein. We've seen a lot of women coming forward about Jeffrey Epstein. So do you feel the environment now, maybe for young actresses, is a better place than in the 60s, the 70s, even the 80s and the 90s? Um, first, just let me say a little bit about what happened to me. It utterly traumatised me. It happened in my mid-twenties, I think I was 25 or 26. It was just before All Creatures. The man was a Kazan, one of the greatest film directors, you know, of the 20th century, a god to me. And he behaved appallingly. It was not just a one-off occasion. We were rehearsing together for a fortnight. It went on and on and on every day. And even on the day of the screen test, his behavior was abominable. But I was confused, thinking, is this someone who's trying to get he kept saying I want to see the passion in you and you know all that stuff which now I would kind of go I'd say something very rude mm -hmm. so I was immature enough not to understand actually that this was a full-on attempt at, uh, at trying to um, rape seduce me whatever you want to call it I buried it and for a very long time. I tried to write about it, then couldn't. Then I wrote a book called The, uh, the Lost Girl, in which I talked about it, a young actress after the Second World War who is actually raped. I wasn't raped by him because I didn't let that happen, but a young girl of, of 17 who is actually raped in the book. And it was at the West Cork Literary Festival, which is where I should be this week, if all things have been normal, um, where I was interviewed and I was talking about The Lost Girl and it was there that um, the lady who was um, interviewing me, uh, whose name doesn't come to mind immediately, lovely lady, um, she asked me about it and I said that it was based on a, a real episode. And it was from then, that was, it was before the Me Too move, movement by about three months, I'd say. So I was a little bit ahead of, not that I did it for that reason, I just needed to get it out and this book seemed the perfect place to put it in. Once I started, once I had written about it and the book got published, I realized that it was such a big thing that I had been carrying. I mean, you know, a real iceberg inside me. And so talking about it in, in Bantry uh, was the beginning. It was like the first step. And then I talked to the Guardian and then I wrote the piece for the mail, the Saturday essay for the um, English mail, Daily Mail. And um, I wasn't going to say who he was and then, um, the lady from the Guardian says to me, I really think, you know, name him and shame him. So I did. And, and it has been such a release for me to talk about it, to open up about it, to admit that, that it has made a, 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 a very, it has stained my, my career and my life. There is no question about it. I'm not saying that I would have been more of this or less of this. 
but it has definitely been something that I have carried with me for decades. So I think um, what's important for young actresses now, and boys, by the way, this is not just exclusively a girl thing, um, is that they have the opportunity to see that there are some of us who have been there, um, been through such an experience, such a very painful and, and demoralizing experience, because I thought for years that it was my fault, which is you know, it's always the thing, often people that, that get beaten think that in some way that, you know, domestic abuse, that in some way they deserve it. And this is something that's so important to, to make those who are victims understand it is, has nothing to do with them. You know, maybe I could have been stronger with him, but I was as strong as I was able to be and I comprehended at that stage. Uh, and so I sincerely hope that it offers... Um, any young girls or young boys or even not so young uh, the opportunity to see that it has nothing to do with them that it is some lech or you know opportunist or rich producer the Weinstein figures um, who are taking advantage of their position and and um, compromising people who want to work you know I wanted to work I wanted the job to work I wanted to go to Hollywood and play the role. I was devastated when it wasn't given to me. And I assumed it was because I hadn't slept with him and that if I'd slept with him, would he have given it to me? I wouldn't have slept with him even so for that. So it's a very big issue and it, it's something that matters deeply to me even now. Uh, and I sincerely hope that the fact that it, because it did take me 30 years at least to come out, that, it, that there are some young people who have read either the book, the novel, The Lost Girl, which is a novel, but still it is, that is based on some fact, that, or, or my articles, that they will be able to say to themselves, you know, I won't let this happen to me. Or if it does happen to me, I know enough now to say, this isn't my fault. It's got nothing to do with me. It's this person, male or female, you know, because it isn't necessarily a, um, a heterosexual thing. It happens with lots of gay people as well. And sometimes it's worse for them because they have the added thing of, you know, do I want people to know or all the other stuff that they might be dealing with, that, that it has nothing to do with them and that these are people taking advantage of their position and they should be locked away or whatever it happens to be. Sorry if that's so strong. Or No, 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 <laughs> absolutely. It's very, it's very important. And then I wondered if then that you said it had a massive effect on you and it's something yeah. you carried with you. Do you ever think that subconsciously you moved into a career which was very much puts you in control? You know, it's very much working alone. Um, you're not at the behest of, you know, powerful men holding roles over you. As a writer, you have a lot more power and control. Independence and universe, mm -hmm. yeah. It's my universe. And, and to some extent, of course, my editors and everyone come on board too. Um, I certainly think it has something to do with it. I mean, it certainly made me much more uh, of a recluse than I was before. Um, I, as a young actress, I, I definitely wanted to uh, go to Hollywood. I, I had strong um, ambitions of what I wanted to do. Um, and I very much wanted to work in the wor world of film. Like Zan said that he did that. This is perhaps the worst part of it for me. It's not that he did it because he wanted my body, not that I wanted him to want my body, but he said afterwards, I wanted to prove that she didn't have the uh, sanctuary for Hollywood. And I think that's probably the most demeaning. I, I mean, I also think it's not true. I think it's just a, he was a rotten old lech 
um, who did his best to conquer, as he saw it, sleep with every, he slept with Marilyn Monroe, you know, I mean, if you read his autobiography, you will see what a nasty piece of work he was, as well as a brilliant director. He was a brilliant director. Um, but didn't he want bully actors and hurt them and demean them? I, what I took from from your writing, Carl, was that he wanted somebody else in that role, and he wanted to yes. basically yes. make yes. a case for them yes. by saying and that you weren't up to manipulated. it, by manipulating, and then making you so upset that you performed very badly when you needed to be on. That's exactly right. He kept, throughout the screen test, he kept coming up beside me, sidling up beside me, and whispering in my ear, I want to, you. Um, but that's, and not, that's not your, um, that's not the link breaking down, that's you not saying the word. I, I'm not saying the word F-U-C-K. Exactly. Because I don't want to offend any, any, any listeners, you know. That, any that's what reading. he was saying in your ear when you were trying that's what to. Saying. Oh, I, I want to f da 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 dum you, hmm. and he was doing it like every half an hour, and um, or even more than that. Every time there was a break, and Harold Pinter was reading in for Robert De Niro, uh, Robert De Niro, who I knew and, and was looking forward to working with, um, and Harold was reading in, and Harold went across it because Harold and I had worked together on this on this script for six months or something. I don't mean I'd helped him write it, but we worked on how it, how to, you know, he they would like me to play the role and blah, blah, blah. It seemed pretty much a given that I was going to be offered the role. And then um, Harold just crossed the, the, the set, the, the screen, you know, in, in kind of the studios or whichever studios it was, um, confused. And I tried to go across to him to say what was there. And Kazan grabbed me and called me back and said, get back on your king, using the same word again, spot, and don't you move. So he made it impossible for me to in any way Get help. Um, yes, get help or, or in any way, I mean, aside from shouting at him and making a scene, which today I probably would do because I'm an old bat <laughs> and I don't actually care now. If somebody treats me that badly, I would damn well say so. But, you know, at 25, 26, when this is your big Hollywood break and you don't even necessarily know why he's doing it. I didn't know then that there was somebody else he wanted to play the role. Um, I was terribly confused and cowed by it. And so after it, it all fell apart and Sam Spiegel, who was producing it, didn't give me another screen test when I explained what happened. And it was then he said that Kazan had said to him, oh, I don't think she's got the, the you know, the San Juan for Hollywood. In fact, he wanted this other actress. Um, I think um, I, lost, I lost so much faith in what you, I mean, I didn't know what to believe anymore. I didn't know what the, the, the life boys were that I should be holding everything that I believe and hold true and, you know, with my lovely Irish mum background and all of that. All of that stuff was just blown out of the water. These people seemed to me to be lying. They seemed to be twisted. I didn't know what to believe. And then I got off at All Creatures and I said to my agent, oh, look, I really want to go for films. And he said to me, if you don't do this, I really won't represent you. He's just died during COVID, but Ken McCready, um, wonderful man. And um, he said, I, 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 he was the only person I told about this. And he said, I really want you to do this role. It will help you heal and we can build from this. It'll be a different kind of building, but we can build from this. And so I trusted him and that, that was the way I went forward. And slowly I was able to build a career which became very successful, but I always carried this this pain inside myself that in some way that I had 
I had let myself down and I had failed myself because I hadn't done what was wanted to be part of Hollywood, which is a terrible weight to carry around with you when you're a young actress, you know? Some way, in some way, I believed I didn't have what it took to actually be first class, top ranking, famous, a star. Do you know what I mean? All those things. And of course, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. It, he was a he was a twisted old bastard. <laughs> but I mean, that is also why you were targeted, because as a young woman trying to make your way in the world, that's a vulnerability. And, you know, absolutely. And I was incredibly, you know, 25 then is not the same probably as 25 now. We didn't have social media. I didn't talk about this to anybody. You know, I buried it inside myself and I cried myself to sleep a lot. And, you know, and I, it was, it was 30 years before I talked about it, except to my, to my agent, as I say. And then really the first time I talked about it, apart from writing about it, was at the West Cork Literary Festival. And I hadn't intended to, it just, came up in our, you know, in our dialogue and our conversation and out it came. I said, well, actually, it's based on something real and out came the story. I had no intention to divulge that as the, the reality. And once it was out, once we started talking about it, then I realized that I'd been carrying something that was very heavy for a very long time. And Carol, you mentioned there in passing your Irish mother, and even though you might beat yourself up about it now that you didn't confront him, you know, you almost let it happen, um, there probably is an Irishness in you. We're great at sweeping things under the carpet and just getting on with it. Absolutely. That's done also the kind of the Catholic thing of, uh, you know, um, Maybe in some way I am to blame, you know, the, the Catholic guilt thing that one carries, you know, we carry from birth, as it were. Um, some of that, too, is definitely in there. And I wouldn't have told my mum because I think that it would have upset her terribly. I think I, she was, she was in Bantry, I'm pretty sure. Was she in Bantry? I know she died. She died just before I, uh, The Lost Girl was published because she was part of the reason I wrote wasn't there when I had that but I no, I never told her about it because um I just didn't think it was something to tell my mum you know and are you very yeah. like your mother do you think very like my mother we were like sisters we were like sisters I miss her terribly and I'm missing her this week particularly because uh, you know we'd have been when I wasn't if I'm not West Court Lit Fest we'd have been off to Woody Island to have have fish and chips and on the beach and have a glass of wine and talk about our lives and you know so this is very particularly difficult and also her birthday is coming up so uh, July is a tough time for me in terms of my mum. Was she from the Midlands um, Carol was she? Mm -hmm. The Irish Midlands your mother Phyllis was it? We're from County Leash. Leash County yeah. Leash. Full rain in County Leash. My family is still there. Um, the farm is still in the family. My cousins have it. And um, my lovely cousin Mari has a house on the, my, my cousin Mari has a house there and my cousin John, uh, her brother has also another house there. So the land has been divided up a little bit and, and it's not run in the same kind of farm as it was when my grandparents were there, but it's still there and it's still the family, still the family farm. And it's, it's just lovely to go back and, you know, all the areas of and you you mentioned there West Cork. You should be you should be here at the moment, or if the festival was on, you would be. It would here. have been the West Cork Lit Fest this week. That's right. And um, 
when you are here, how do you um, find the comparisons with the south of France now? I mean, you seem to like it a lot here, but we, you know, we would say, my gosh, why, why would you leave the south of France to come to Ireland's weather? <laughs> Well, the weather is <laughs> the weather is a big factor for me, um, but I've been here so long now that um, maybe the sun and those kind of things are slightly less important than they used to be. But I mean, I'm married here, so you know, my life is here in that sense. However, um, though I was educated in England at an Irish convent, um, I've never thought of myself as I do. My father ha had English, had some English blood. He 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 was English Irish. My mother was completely Irish. So I've, all, I've always thought of myself as Irish, and my passport is Irish. So um, I, I always think that, God forbid, I don't like to think of this scenario, but should something happen to Michelle, should there be a reason why I wasn't here anymore, I definitely would return to Ireland. I look for, there are all kinds of spots in Ireland, I think, if the day comes, might be a place where I might find myself a little, little home, you know. I do miss it very much. I mean, I miss it viscerally, you know. There's a lot of things about Ireland that I miss. Just little things, details that you can't necessarily um, relate to or mean anything in particular, particular a lilt of an accent or whatever it happens to be or a particular kind of laughter, the sense of humour. There are lots of things I miss about Ireland when I'm not there. And this is the longest I've ever not been there. I haven't been there since last... Um, I think November last year. So this is the longest I've ever been away. Right. But you do live in a spectacular part of the south of France near Cannes, I think. And we overlook the Bay of Cannes. Wow. And tell me how much that location influences your books, because I know quite a lot of them are set in Paris or the coast of France. I think especially the, the house on the cliff, am I right? The House on the Edge of the Cliff was set mm -hmm. near Marseille. That's my most recent one, which mm -hmm. I would have been talking about this week. That's set on, on, um, uh, in the Calanque area near Marseille. And I wrote a piece, I think, for the Irish Times about that last year when it was first published, about that area of France, which is not quite as well known as Cannes. Um, I try to pick little pockets of places down here that uh, mean something to me. and might not be exactly because, you know, Cannes, people know Cannes. And I do include Cannes and the film festival. The book I'm just starting now has, if that's how it stays, um, has the film festival in the background at the beginning of it. And I do sometimes include that, but I do also I like to look for little pockets where people might say, oh, I don't know that part. Why don't I read this or why don't I visit that? So the Kalank is one. And the book I've just finished um, is set inland of here <clears throat> in the area called the Mercantour Park which is a beautiful national park, which is partly Italian, because it, the, the border of the two countries go through the Mercantour Park. So there's lots of wildlife and climbing and mountains. It's the lower Alps. So my new novel, the novel that I finished, is set, just finished now, is set there during, um, during the Second World War. And do you do a lot of research? So, um, do you, do you travel? Good. Sorry, Carl, do you oh, travel do. to the areas? I love the research. Yeah. I do. I travel to the areas. Um, as it happens, these are not long distance areas. I can be at the Mercantour in an hour. And the Kalank, uh, where um, the house on the edge of the cliff is set, it's an hour and a half from here. And we would go and, and stay over and do some of the walks and that sort of thing. 
because I really got to be, um, the house on the edge of the cliff, the actual house is an inventive house, but the area of the Calanx, the, the creeks, it's all creek areas, very beautiful, really beautiful, quite wild and lots of wonderful walks and things and forest land and then these beaches. Um, we'd go there and stay overnight a day or two when I was, when I was writing the book so that we could A, enjoy the, the scenery in the area and it was a good excuse for me to, you know, and I could sit and, and be inspired by it as well. And can you tell me a little bit about the book you're writing at the moment then? The one with the, the one just festival in, in the background. Oh, I've, only, I've literally just... Because I've only... The book that, um, which hasn't got a title yet, which comes out next April, I, well, I called it an, an illicit act of love, and my editor says that's too saucy a title. <laughs> <laughs> so she doesn't want that. So we're debating a title at the moment. Um, that's set, as I said, at the, up inland at this national park, in 1943 a very particular incident happened there during the second world war and that's been the inspiration for that book so that's the story of a young 17 year old girl and her her time during the second world war and then what happened to her after that so that's i've loved writing that and i know my editor is very excited about that one the new one well it's too soon really i've only i'm only two or three weeks into it so anything could happen i'm at that stage where what Iris Murdoch says, you open the door and the landscape is grey and misty. You know there's wind and you know there's air out there, but you don't quite know yet what's going to happen. It starts, um, and I've no idea if this has got something to do with COVID or not. It starts in, um, on the front of a, of a beach resort, which could be Cannes, I don't know yet. Um, probably Cannes or near Cannes. Out of season in a very, very kind of what seems like dead location. And this woman comes back because she's had a phone call from her lawyer to say that there's been squatters at her house. And then I'm not going to say anymore because I don't really know too much more yet. I mean, I have, I have ideas of where it's going. But no. Do you, do you plot, plot out your books on paper before you sit down? No. Or do you just let it happen? No. Let, let the characters take They more or less let it happen. I mean, if it's a historical book, like the one I just finished is, um, then obviously I do masses of research for the, for the historical aspect of it. And then I let the character wander her way through, the main character wander her way through the historical roots of the piece. And I look to see what she, you know, a bit like a, a pinball game, see what she bounces off and comes back and where it's taking her as she goes along. Some of it I use, some of it I don't. This new book, um, it's about memory, I think. It's about memory and, and a relationship that goes off the wall. You know, that absolutely goes... Uh, 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 how she remembers something that, in fact, well, and whether or not it really happened that way. That's sort of where it's going, I think, at the moment. Okay. But ask me in a year. <laughs> Let's have this chat in a year and see what I say then. Well, ho hopefully it'll be at, at the Literary Festival this time next year. We'll be having the chat. Well, that, I'm hoping they'll have the one, you know, the set in the method. I hope I can come and talk to Emia and um, everybody there next year. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and just before we finish, Carol, I think um, fans of writers always like to know what the writer is reading themselves, watching or even... I don't know, do you listen to podcasts? But what, what have you been doing during the lockdown? Or I, I are you like I, I, some I, I of us don't have any time? Right. 
I, oh, I have plenty of time. I No, I read all the time. Um, I've been reading Patrick Modiano, who's a French writer who won the Nobel Prize in 2014. Uh, I don't know how well known he is in Ireland. He's one I've been reading recently. I've been reading um, the new Isabella Lende, which... Um, was set, it begins during the Spanish Civil War and then takes a, a, a couple on a journey to South America, which is, I love her writing. I love the poetry of her writing and I love the sense of the expanse of her writing. I mean, she takes big subjects and I like that. Uh, what else have I been reading? Gosh, um, I think I went back to some Scott Fitzgerald last week. I mean, I dip in and out of a lot of books as well, but um, I'm constantly reading. I'm constantly, I, I, I sign them more. Uh, which I'd read before, which I dipped into the other day as well. So it's like that as well. And are you watching anything? Do, are you watching? I, I, there's a series just started on the BBC, Mrs. America, which kind of um, I thought would be right up your street. You haven't picked up on that over there, have you? I don't think I can get the BBC over here. I do watch Netflix sometimes, but I'm not sure I can get the BBC over here. I think... Um, I've tried a few times to do BBC iPlayer and also BFI. Um, I joined the BFI so I could watch a lot there because they have such wonderful films. But um, it's, I, I buy a film and I can watch like 10 minutes and then it gets blocked. So I'm not quite sure. There must be one of those things that people have ways around this and I haven't, I haven't sorted that out yet. So it'll be hard to do that at some point. Okay, well, listen, Carla, it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you. And like I say, hopefully our next chat will be in Bantry this time oh, next year. And oh, um, not too socially distanced, I hope. <laughs> well, let's hope we're all through all this this time. Yeah. Healthy and strong and onwards. And here now we have this week's musical treat. Rachel O'Donovan is a music teacher from Blandor who has been making a name for herself with her lockdown piano versions of dance and pop music favourites, including everyone from Shakira to Harry Styles and Avicii to Nirvana. Her rendition of Tiesto's version of Adagio for strings resulted in a private message from the superstar DJ himself asking if he could share it with his five million followers. But this week, Rachel set herself a new challenge and has recorded a super version of the classic theme to all creatures great and small. To hear more from Rachel, follow at Rachel O'Donovan, that's R-A-C-H-A-E-L O'Donovan, one word, on Twitter. listen to the southern star coronavirus podcast don't forget to like share and subscribe to our podcast which is available on itunes spotify youtube acast stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts
Thanks for listening to another Southern Star Media podcast production. Stay connected to West Cork by subscribing to our e-paper and support local, quality and trusted journalism. Visit www.subscribe.southernstar.ie